The Stein Online Clubland Q&A begins right now. Welcome along. It is 5 p.m. North American Eastern Time. That's 6 p.m. in the Canadian Maritimes, half past six in beautiful Newfoundland and Labrador and beyond the Americas. 10 p.m. in London, 11 p.m. in Paris, midnight in Kiev, where they're still waiting for Biden to send in the Marines. 1 a.m. in Moscow, where Putin is laughing his socks off, half past one in Tehran. For all you Newfoundlanders who moved to Iran for the half-hour time zone, 3.45 a.m. in Kathmandu for all you Iranians who moved to Nepal to check out the quarter-hour time zone, 6 a.m. in Singapore, Honkers and Perth, sorry about that, 9 a.m. in Sydney and Melbourne, and an even more civilised hour for the Kippers and Kedgeri in Auckland and beyond. But wherever you are, we welcome you to our first Clubland Q&A of 2022. You know how this works? Uh, Anyone, any one of the seven and a half billion people around the planet are free to listen to this show. Uh, If you want to ask a question, you do have to be a member of the Mark Stein Club, because being a Mark Stein Club member helps, I feel, formulate truly excellent questions. And so we will get to your questions. This one comes from uh, a fellow who joined uh, just before the show started. So we welcome you. Uh, Richard Serep, I hope I pronounced that correctly, and uh, Richard lives in Florida. Uh, I hope I pronounced that correctly. Ever since I've been doing this GB News show, my American pronunciations are getting a little bit more precarious. Uh, Richard says, Dear Mark, first day freeloader, now proud subscriber. This is the third or fourth straight year that I've noticed that the celebration of the Martin Luther King Day holiday in the United States is strangely and noticeably quiet and barely discussed in any media. In an era when the far left fans the flames of racial strife so quickly and racial differences are so loudly emphasized, you might think the holiday commemorating the leading black civil rights leader would make for a particularly rancorous weekend. Instead, I can't help but believe it's being deliberately ignored. My theory is that Martin Luther King's messages of equality that led the civil rights movement, having been achieved, have been completely abandoned for the next step toward equity, and with it, the institutionalization of racial preferences till the end. At this point, I think Martin Luther King is an inconvenience for the far left in that the MLK equality messages Americans were taught the past 40 or so years are now out of date for them. I'm not sure where you've been, uh, Richard, where they've been being taught the last 40 or so years. I think the silence today uh, is is reflective of a long tail-off in terms of the Martin Luther King message. 
Uh, but Richard continues, is there an opportunity here for conservative thinking people to arrest the far left's equity movement by loudly and proudly emphasizing, celebrating and eventually defending Martin Luther King's messages of equality? We'd have to move fast before the far left notices and has Biden changed today to Equity Day or Black Lives Matter Day, which would be my response if I were them. And he concludes... With uh, Martin Luther King's words, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. We're way beyond that. You're right. They don't do anything about it now. And in fact, uh, I'm not sure. I think she must be the niece of Martin Luther King, who's always on uh, Fox News on Martin Luther King Day. Uh uh, because he's well, Martin Luther. Start Martin Luther King when he was saying who Biden was saying the other day. Who do you want to be? Do you want to do you want to be with Martin Luther King or with Bull Connor? Well, you know, Bull Connor was the Democrat. Martin Luther King was the Republican. That's one of the problems. But secondly, they've gone way beyond that. There was I was just reading this uh, terrible tale. Uh, of a uh, a young woman at a high, she was the clerk at a nice uh, high-end store, you know, so she thinks she's got a job where she's insulated from the darker pathologies of America, and some black guy just comes in and uh, randomly kills her. And uh, why why is that? I mean, there's two aspects to that story. That would be a story, if you know, if you, one thing that's interesting to me since I've been at GB News, for example, there's, uh, uh, there was an Irish school teacher killed uh, in Ireland. It's a huge story, uh, not just in uh, Ireland, but in um, England, Scotland and Wales, because it's an, an unusual thing. When a black guy kills a white woman, it doesn't even make the news in America. It's uh, and and it's because we have progressed. the 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 racial divide has progressed from equal rights to white people are bad, white people are evil, white people are to blame for everything that's wrong in this world. And Martin Luther King is no use to a narrative like that. Absolutely no use at all. So we're going to see the eclipse of Martin Luther King simply because the the uh, the victimization, the racial grievance narrative has moved so far beyond him. Paul Harmon says Martin Luther King <laughs> said with regard to, <laughs> you know, uh, they didn't used to have Martin Luther King Day in New Hampshire uh, when I first came to New Hampshire. What did they call it? They called it Civil Rights Day. And uh, I remember at, at school board meetings, the uh, the liberals in town would always try to get the town or the school district to proclaim it Martin Luther King Day because the state didn't. So it's never been, you know, I must say, just speaking from a North Country perspective, Martin Luther King says, says Paul Harmon, with regard to the Nation of Islam and the Black Power Movement in a 1966, 
speech. Black supremacy is as dangerous as white supremacy, and God is not interested merely in the freedom of black men, he said. God is interested in the freedom of the whole human race and in the creation of a society society where all men can live together as brothers. Why is it that the left can memory hole the freedom of the whole human race and get away with it? Well, the reason they can do that is because uh, the right uh, surrendered all the important uh, societal levers or levers. I think I said it the wrong way around on GB News. I think it's levers uh, on uh, the uh, eastern shore of the Atlantic and levers on the western. But whichever it is, uh, the 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 right surrendered all those because the important they thought the important thing was dragging Paul Ryan across the finish line every other November. And they don't realize that uh, if you have the entire education system hollowed out by the left. I mean, what I said, this was just a throwaway line. I think I first used it when I was uh, sitting in for Tucker a few years back, that there are uh, red states and blue states, but all the red states have blue school districts. And you know this. You read these stories about critical race theory, in even in deep being taught in deep red states, because all the school districts are blue. And people think, as the great Tom Wolfe said to me uh, over a very agreeable cocktail in the Cafe Carlisle a few years back. Uh, He was talking about when he was writing that book of his, I'm Charlotte Simmons, and he was saying that uh, everybody just sits through all the what we didn't then called woke, uh, what we call political correctness, and just rolled their eyes. Uh, And I was skeptical of that, because if you do that year in, year out, so it starts in the 60s, but uh, at a certain level, the, the professors having still taught in real times when it was the object of education to inculcate knowledge and critical thinking, uh, that generation, you, you still had a kind of acceptance of sanity underpinning it. Then you move on a generation, and now the people who are teaching the students are insane. So you, you don't have... Uh, the assumptions of sanity underpinning it. And then you move on yet another generation and all those people who have been taught in those schools, which, as I said, is all over America, with the exception of Hillsdale and one or two other outposts, it's the only kind of education on offer in the United States. And then you're surprised that everything is suddenly more bonkers, that, that increasingly... Uh, the the joke the the Jonah Goldberg sneer at Canada, for example, was that Canada was just one big American college campus. That Canada was basically a crazy American college campus trying to pass itself off as a sovereign state. Uh, well, now America is the crazy American college campus. Uh, Pete Procopio writes, states use the threat of COVID to change the way people vote without the consent of the people, completely disregarding law and quite capriciously. No scientific or even common sense basis, just perpetuating fear. All of which were created under emergency powers supposedly necessitated by COVID. 
And when state legislatures try to remove these ridiculous measures and abide by the law, Democrats and their corrupt media get away with defining, curtailing haphazard COVID voting edicts by emergency proclamation as authoritarian voting restrictions. It's so clearly ridiculous, I just can't understand how so many folks continue to fall for it. Peter's making an important point here that... uh, These were supposedly temporary measures used to facilitate voting in in the year of COVID. Now, if you propose uh, doing anything to to get rid of those temporary voting COVID measures, you're trying to prevent black people from voting. Uh, It's course, Peter's right. It's completely stupid. It's so clearly ridiculous, he says. I just can't understand how so many folks continue to fall for it. As always, 180 degrees out of phase, plastic banana, good time rock and roll nonsense. He's uh, paraphrasing Rush there. Do we ignore it and hope thinking people prevail or try to engage and demand the terms of the debate are at least honest, born in COVID, but to remain in perpetuity. Well, I'm wary, I'm increasingly wary of debate because they're not good faith debates. As as you know, if you watch them, if you watch any so-called debate on MSNBC or CNN or whatever it is, these are not good faith debates. There's no examples of people who have been denied the right to vote in Georgia. Georgia, for example, now has, you know, where it's the new Jim Crow, according to Joe Biden of Delaware, a state which has far more restrictive laws uh, that, uh, than, than Georgia, and which he used to anyway boast was once a slave state back in his days when he was actually the guy uh, boasting about how Bull Connor thought he was the coming man. Uh, so we have a slightly wacky, you can't have a good faith debate. What astonishes me about all this, and this is where the parochialism of the American right, I don't think helps. The point I always used to make is that, for example, photo ID, when, you know, when I when I'd be on Fox News, I'd always make the point that that, uh, you know, the the underlying assumption of uh, these voter ID laws is that black people are too stupid to uh, acquire voter ID. Now, you need voter ID to get on a plane. You need voter ID to go and see a picture ID to go and see a congressman. You need picture ID to do almost you need picture ID to do almost anything in this country these days. A lot of times you need it for covid. You know, you've got to acquire a covid passport so called uh, to get into a restaurant. But but you don't need a passport, whether of the COVID variety or any other kind, to vote. I mean, it's obviously stupid, um, but it's particularly stupid when you look at the rest of the world. Uh, black people all over the world, black people in Botswana, black people in Kenya, black people in Mauritius are perfectly capable of acquiring picture ID to vote. 
brown people in India are perfectly capable, uh, which is the world's largest democracy, perfectly capable. So it's an argument you can only make because of the particular invincible ignorance of uh, of America, which, you know, and the right contributes to this because the right just says, oh, we're so exceptional. We've got nothing to learn from the rest of the planet. So it disarms itself of some of the most obvious arguments, particularly to the sort of uh, bien pensant liberal lady listening to NPR who wants to be thought of as a sophisticated European type. So when you say, well, if you were a sophisticated European, as opposed to just some pathetic figure listening to NPR and watching PBS in the hopes that a Downton Abbey rerun will run off on you, rub off on you, you would know uh, that nowhere around the developed world or the functioning parts of the developing world do they uh, have anything quite so crap as this uh, and make it uh, and make such absolutely ludicrous arguments uh, about it. We had a question. I just want to get to a question, see if I can find that. I haven't, to, it hasn't shown up in the feed as we say, so I'm going to try and find it some other route. Just just hang on a moment. Talk among yourselves for a bit, because I wanted to relate to it, because it's a part, the, one of the, what a lot of these questions are asking is uh, uh, basically about what are, you know, what are the right, the American rights arguments uh, against uh, to, to make against uh, a lot of this craziness. And the American, I want to tie this uh, to, uh, where is this, uh, uh, where, where is this question gone? Um, it was a question from somebody, uh, where is this here? Uh, anyway, I was asked a question by somebody who said, why had I called Lynn Wood a nutter? I don't actually believe I did call Lynn Wood a nutter or said he was nutty. But um, that the, 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 the protests and the objections to the 2020 election a very depressing, if you believe, as I do, that the election was stolen. It wasn't broadly stolen. It was narrowly stolen in certain key precincts in six uh, swing states that happened to have uh, six big cities where the political machine is is controlled by the Democrat Party. But this lady uh, wanted to ask me about why I thought Linwood was nutty. Well, because uh, she said she couldn't find anything that made him sound nutty. Well, I'll ju just ca tell you, uh, for instance, um, that she said for uh, that Lynn Wood, for example, if you don't know who Lynn Wood is, if you're not American, he was one of these lawyers uh, who was very active in the lawsuits that were brought by on behalf of Donald Trump between Election Day on November 3rd and uh, January 20th, the inauguration day. And as you know, I think that whole transition period is complete garbage and helps uh, the Democrats 
either steal the election or subvert the incoming administration. So in 2020, they used it to steal the election. In 2016, they used it just to subvert the incoming administration. But Trump wound up with the world's dumbest legal team. And one of those people was Lynn Wood. And this lady has asked me why I described Lynn Wood as nutty. And I'll just give you a for instance. Uh, He said, Lynn Wood said that uh, Mike Pence was going to be executed for treason. Now, I don't understand why... uh, Here's the thing. If you think uh, that the election was stolen, in what sense is Lynn Wood announcing uh, that Mike Pence is going to be executed for treason in the least bit useful to you? If you want something serious done about the election theft, there are two objections to it. One He's the, the, the first is that he's not going to be executed for treason. <laughs> so it's the problem. The problem with all these people is they're just setting up stuff that isn't going to happen. You know, I had Sidney Powell on uh, when I was guest hosting Rush and I liked Sidney Powell. And um, uh, but Sidney Powell promised Kraken and there was no Kraken. So now we have Lynn Wood, who has released a recording of a phone call between himself and the big Trump supporter, the guy who was CEO of Overstock, Patrick Byrne. And Patrick Byrne also felt the election was stolen. And so he has a phone call with Lynn Wood. Lynn Wood then posts the phone call. He's talking about Sidney Powell, uh, Patrick Byrne and saying that Sidney wants to get him into bed. And uh, and he said, no, he didn't want to have sex with Sidney Powell. So now Sidney Powell isn't speaking to her. And that's why finding out what happened on November the 3rd had gone nowhere. Who would, who in their right minds would get mixed up with these people? You know, Steve McIntyre, who is an engineer, you know Steve because he's the guy who demolished the hockey stick. And if you're an engineer, you look at things in an engineer's kind of way. So whether or not Sidney Powell is trying to get uh, Patrick Byrne into bed. And again, as I said, how is it helpful to me for Lynn Wood to post a recording of a telephone call in which Patrick Byrne talks about Sidney Powell trying to get him into bed? As I said, this is just complete Rubbish. If you seriously think, Steve McIntyre said when uh, Sidney Powell was going on about, you know, Dominion Voting Machines is a Canadian company. Okay, so it's boring for Americans to wrap their heads around because instead of the Chicoms or Hugo Chavez, who happens to be dead, but is controlling American elections from beyond the grave, it's not exciting to them. Like, oh, the communists and Hugo Chavez are running. No, no, actually, it's something duller than that. It's a it's a the voting machine is made in Canada. And yes, they don't actually use them in Canadian elections uh, to process your your vote, which might seem a little odd. They use them in some provincial elections to tell, oh, you're beginning to bore me. 
You're talking about Canada. I'd much rather get back to hearing Lyd Wood explain why Patrick Byrne is uh, is saying that uh, Sidney Powell won't speak to him uh, since uh, he refused to go to bed with her uh, while Sidney, so they could do as pillow talk, Sidney Powell uh, talking about how it's the Venezuelans and the Chinese. As Steve McIntyre, the engineer... So this is the engineer's way of looking at it. Says, no, 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 no. Bringing the Venezuelans and the Chinese and all this into it, you need... The point is the the Democrats, and he's saying this as a Canadian, the Democrats are to blame. So you need to prove that the Democrats in these cities, you know, in in Philadelphia and these other Democrat-controlled cities did a very few small things that just changed enough. The minute you make it about, you know, Venezuela and the Chicoms, what's some rinky-dink district court judge <laughs> going to be doing about that? So now we have, so for those who think, this is why I'm very cautious about who I get into bed with, uh, not in the Patrick Byrne, Sidney Powell sense, but uh, but just in a, in a broader sense, because you never know when they're just going to go off the charts, flying nuts. Now the he wanted he wanted Lynn Wood, he wanted Mike Pence arrested for treason, and he wanted and he said, well, he didn't say he, was, he didn't want him. He said he was going to be arrested and executed for treason. Like when has that happened? How how uh, how likely is that? And how stupid you have to be to think that's a smart. But now he's turned on Sidney Powell and the MAGA crowd. This is the guy who basically said people shouldn't vote Republican in the Georgia election. I'm going on about uh, a bit about this because because there's a bonkers part of the right that is not worth getting mixed up with because they don't know enough to run a good conspiracy theory. So if he genuinely believes this, Lynn Wood, that MAGA, he, he, he lost, he, he can take some credit for turning just enough votes to lose the two Georgia Senate seats for the Republicans, you know. Uh, and then you have, uh, so what is the, con- while we're doing all this, what is the conspiracy theory that if you want to get the Chai Coms involved, what is the conspiracy theory? The conspiracy theory is that in 2019, Trump was the first American president, basically in half a century, uh, to question whether uh, helping uh, China to come up with the world's only economically viable form of communism was in America's interest. And he was running a sort of trade war. It wasn't a trade war, really, as these things are conventionally understood, but it had hurt China. And it's and if you want a conspiracy theory, uh, there's a lot to be said for the fact that uh, Chairman Xi, this is the summer of 2019, are sitting around on the Politburo, in Peking, as Peter Hitchens says, I have to say, and they're thinking, well, how are we going to, what are we going to do about this? Have we got anything? Well, you know, we could always just turn our back the next time one of those uh, 
SARS type things comes flying out of the Wuhan Institute of Virology. What do you mean turn our back? You know, it'll be all over China. No, 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 no. We'll close down the domestic flights out of Wuhan, but we'll uh, put it, keep putting it on the plane to Milan and Johannesburg and Seattle. You never know. It might just be a big enough distraction that that whole Chinese trade war thing goes away. Now, that's a conspiracy theory that could have happened. But this uh, Linwood nuttiness, you know, Linwood, as I said, how does this help me achieve it? This is what conservatives need to get real about. You know, how does this help me achieve anything I want? Uh, but that's but that's that. So that's enough of uh, that's enough of uh, Linwood. We don't need to talk. Although if you disagree, feel free to disagree. I mean, he he had he's had some big name clients uh, going all the way back to uh, uh, John Benet Ramsey's uh, parents. So, you know, he must know something. Uh, Drew Weber says, hello, Mark, you revisited the contrast of sinkings of the Costa Concordia and the Titanic and the loss of virtue of women and children first. Health bureaucrats and politicians have followed suit with our response to COVID, essentially sacrificing the education and livelihoods of the young, not to protect those who are at relatively little risk from COVID, but rather to protect the elder. Voiceless souls in nursing homes also were sacrificed. It's a double failure, Drew. You know, as you know, COVID is statistically harmless under a certain age. And then as you go up uh, to through the 70s, 80s and 90s and centenarians, it becomes more of a risk. You're quite right about that. But it was a double failure. We chose, in effect, to punish the young, particularly children. We, we chose to abuse the children who've lost two years for our, of their lives. So if you thought... Uh, um, um, American school children, Western school children needed to be any more stupid uh, than they already are. The COVID era has been a huge success. But the trade-off wasn't even a good trade-off because in the end, all those people were just warehoused in the old folks' homes and died anywhere. Um, And as Drew says, maybe the approach could be defended if it actually worked. But Omicron is raging in places with high vaccination rates and strict measures. As we deal with the nth wave, rather than admit what we had been doing failed, the experts are doubling down, requiring better masks and soon monthly vaccines and stabs starting in the maternity wards. Even when policies change, rather than admit error in their assumptions, they obfuscate and say, oh, the science has changed. The progression of COVID was predictable and inevitable. Early on, Fauci stated it would take years to develop a vaccine. Did he also believe that we would need to mask up social distance and remote learn and work for years? How foolish 15 days to stop the spread seems now. Your thoughts. Yeah, the whole uh, stop the spread thing was to do with the overwhelming of hospitals. Hospitals have not been overwhelmed with Omicron. You know, Boris Johnson is in a lot of trouble at the moment. And (laughs) as I'm getting close to saying, uh, you know, ever more openly on air, I don't care for the guy. He's 
uh, you know, he's only in it for himself. But Boris has been, Boris, the one good thing he did, if you look at the models that SAGE, this stupid acronym for the experts who advise uh, HMG in London, if you look at the modelings they did, the high end, I think, was 6,000 dead a day. And so they're doing, oh, we must follow the experts. Why? The experts have gotten everything wrong. We've got a two-year track record of stupidity. If you look at their high projection and then you look at their medium projection and then you look at their low projection from Sage, Omicron deaths. And then what actually happened? What actually happened is that line bumping along the bottom of the graph over all this, you know, exploding Omicron rubbish. So Boris is uh, the one thing Boris has going for him is that he refused Sage's calls to lock down. This is why they're now trying to get rid of him and replace him with someone who'll fall into line. May, meanwhile, if you look at What's happening in Quebec, what's happening in Ottawa, what's happening in many American states, what's happening in much of continental Europe. The craziness is just getting crazier. And we actually need now to call a halt to it, to say COVID is done. Uh, some variants will be like this Omicron, a joke. And uh, other variants might come along and be more, uh, uh, more lethal. But at this stage, it's going to be natural immunity. We're, we're actually damaging this idea we have a one-size-fits-all jab that damages uh, your immune system if you ha start having it every six, five, four, three months. Yeah, you know, there, there's no med. And this idea that all seven and a half people, billion people on the planet, regardless of whether they're three or 97, regardless of whether they got underlying comorbidities or not, regardless of whether uh, they're living in uh, the uh, a, a densely crowded Western city or whether they're in the jungles of Papua New Guinea, they all have to receive the same shot. There's no science behind that. It's complete drivel. And what we actually need is people who just say, look, uh, I don't care. We've heard the experts, we are not interested in Fauci's latest version of events. I just want a Fauci-less world. I want a world without Professor Pantsdown from Imperial College in London. I want a world without uh, all those stupid uh, Australian politicians kicking Djokovic out of the country because he might be influential in disagreeing with the government. They're not kicking him out on vax grounds or booster shot grounds, as the immigration minister said, we're getting rid of him because he's a famous person who disagrees with the government line. That's the world we're living in. So I just want the pre-COVID world. And it's a bit like Brexit. Maybe I'll form the pre-COVID party. And we have one policy that is to go back to the world before March 2020. This is uh, Mark Stein, and you're listening to Clubland Q&A. You know how it works. We take your questions, and we do a couple of other things on it. And Scott here, Scott, who's uh, from Georgia, 
Uh, don't know whether he voted for, you know, Kelly Loeffler. Scott says he's a first-month founding member of the Mark Stein Club from the great state of Georgia, the Peach State. And he says, I understand not doing the media hamster wheel because it never ends and you can't get off. I'm enjoying them. That's what I was saying about the business at uh, the Texas synagogue. Um, because I can't stand the hamster wheel because it, it just, you know, I wrote that column two decades ago on what was going on, you know, with the FBI. Welcome, the FBI that Sean Hannity, did. I know these men, they're fine, upstanding agents. It's just a few rotten apples at the top. No, tell me when the FBI hasn't been. This MI5 had this guy, this Texas guy, uh, he was known to MI5. So in theory, if he's known to MI5, because this is how they work, the FBI actually has offices in the UK. I don't know why. And if I were PM, I'd kick him out. But they have offices there in order to ensure that what, the, what MI5 and uh, Scotland Yard knows, they know. And so he was known to F MI5, but supposedly, even though he's a convicted criminal, uh, and on terrorist watch lists from Five Eyes allies, he manages to get through U.S. immigration. Uh, now, uh, if you've tried getting through U.S. immigration in the last couple of years, and you know you've got to, if you're flying in from overseas, you've got to prove you've got you vaccinated and you've uh, had your test within 48 hours or whatever it is. Uh, but somehow a convicted criminal and a, a guy on a terrorist watch list manages to sail through. Right. When we've been on orange alert for 20 years. And I'll tell you something else, too. The FBI thought the woman, Lady Al-Qaeda, because he referred to her as his sister. So they thought this guy was the sister. They didn't realize they're so out of it. This third rate, awful, uh, overpaid bunch of deadbeats political hacks, ideological hacks, who would far rather investigate people going to school board meetings in Idaho than, than uh, figure out why this guy is, uh, wants to shoot up a synagogue. These pathetic people don't even know that uh, in Islam, you refer to all your brothers and your sisters. So anybody can be. It doesn't mean She's his biological. They don't even know that. They are so... The FBI, you know, there are failures all over the world on this. There's failures in uh, New Zealand. There's failures in France. There's failures in Canada. But uh, the FBI gets more money than any of those people. So at least the Canadians and the French and the Kiwis can fail on a budget, which these useless twerps can't. You know, if you're still rah-rahing, if you're one of these pom-pom uh, girls still rah-rahing about the FBI, you're no conservative. You're certainly, you're somebody who, who should just get the hell out. Why don't you join the FBI or why don't you start an FBI fan club? These certain TV hosts, you know, who like to show they're in with federal law enforcement and, you know, one of their buddies, the FBI agents, gave them a little pin to put in their lapel. <laughs> oh, showing that, uh, you know, ooh, I've got the FBI flag pin. Uh, it's pathetic, 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 pathetic. Anyway, Scott continues. Please, he said, I'm enjoying the Mark Stein show on GBTV. 
on GB News. But I do have one request. Please keep the 100 Years Ago show going. As we went another year, it is time to relive the past. Yeah, because if you don't know anything of the past, if you're just floating on the flotsam and jetsam of the present, it's no wonder your arguments are so feeble and ineffectual. Thanks, says Scott, and I'm looking forward to another year as a member of the Mark Stein Club. Well, you're absolutely uh, right about that. And the 100 Years Ago show isn't going anywhere, uh, as the Paymaster General said of Boris Johnson. The 100 Years Ago show is a regular feature at Stein Online. And no matter what we do on telly or radio or print, we will still be doing the 100 Years Ago show. By way of example, keep up to date with the past on the 100 Years Ago Show with Mark Stein. A death in Antarctica, sex at the flickers, and kidnapped at the pub. It's January 1922. A hundred years from today. The messy aftermath of the Great War continues. Representatives of the British, French and Belgian governments are meeting at Cannes to discuss Germany's inability to make reparations payments. The value of the Deutschmark has fallen to one thirty-second thousandth of the pound or one one hundred and thirty-third of a British penny. One US dollar is now worth 6,600 marks, and American banks are refusing to accept German currency for payment of debts. The general election has been held in the so-called Republic of Central Lithuania. A majority of the inhabitants has voted to remain part of Poland, but the Lithuanian government is refusing to recognize the vote. In Moscow, the Soviet regime has published statistical data showing that since the October Revolution that brought the Bolsheviks to power, 1,766,118 people have been executed. Dogsamin Badu, the Prime Minister of Mongolia and a founder of the Mongolian People's Revolutionary Party, has resigned after just six months. He had become very unpopular after a vigorous campaign to fit Mongol customs to Bolshevik norms, including the banning of long hair and ladies' jewellery. After forcing Mr. Badu out, the new Premier Sonamin Damdinbazar has accused him and other ministers of corruption and treason and had Mr. Bodu arrested. The delegation of the Far Eastern Republic, currently in Washington, has revealed what it claims to be secret documents demonstrating a military alliance between France and Japan intended to secure Japanese domination of Siberia in exchange for protection of French interests in Russia. France and Japan have both denounced the documents as forgeries. In compliance with the Treaty of Ankara, France has begun the withdrawal of its occupation forces from Turkey, starting with the departure of French army troops in Mersin province and of the French Armenian Legion from the city of Adana, where they were there to prevent further actions against the Armenian minority. I'm a man, 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 I'm a
Second-hand hats, second-hand clothes, but would you take a second-hand elephant? In India, Vilaya Raja of Nilambur once prayed to Lord Krishna to protect the royal family and its property from attack, and said if his prayers were heard, he would give an elephant to the temple. His prayers were granted, and the royal family of Nilambur has now presented their 12th elephant to the Guruvaya temple. Guruvaya Keshavan is about 10 years old and stands over 10 and a half feet high. He is a magnificent creature who enjoys carrying many persons upon his back. In British Palestine, the first elections have been held for the newly established Supreme Muslim Council, created to oversee religious courts and Islamic finances in the territory. The Mufti of Jerusalem, Amin al Husseini, a descendant of Muhammad through his grandson, also called Muhammad, has been chosen as the council's first leader and his office upgraded to Grand Mufti. He is an implacable opponent of Zionism, but local officials are said to regard him as useful. In Dublin, ABK, the Times correspondent, London Times, that is, not Irish Times, was kidnapped by armed members of the Irish Republican Army while having lunch in a pub in Leeson Street. Three men with revolvers burst in and ordered him to get into a car, saying, if you don't, we will riddle you. They took him to a remote farmhouse and tried him for purporting to give the views of people in Cork on the new agreement for an Irish dominion and publishing, quote, news concerning the army which had not been authorised. After his conviction, they drove Mr K back to Dublin and have now released him. Meanwhile, Eamon de Valera offered his resignation as president of the so-called Irish Republic, telling its parliament, the Dáil Éireann, give me a vote of confidence so that I can stand on the rock of an independent Irish Republic. If you want this treaty, you can elect someone else. Instead, the Dial Aaron voted 64 to 57 to approve the agreement, which Mr. De Valera dismissed as, quote, not a legal act, and said that only the Irish people can disestablish the republic which they have set up by their own will. In turn, President de Valera was narrowly defeated for re-election as president of the Dial Aaron and replaced by Arthur Griffith, the so-called Parliament then adjourned to give Mr Griffith time to begin organising the provisional government of what will be known in South African fashion as the Irish Free State. In the United States, the peace dollar, the new silver dollar issued by the US Mint, has been put into circulation just six days after the first coins were struck. The dollar shows the goddess of liberty on the obverse and on the other side a bald-headed eagle clutching an olive branch. Construction has begun on a bridge over the Delaware River between Philadelphia, Pennsylvania and Camden, New Jersey. It has been more than a century since proposals were first made to connect these states by something other than ferry service. The governors of Pennsylvania and New Jersey both participated in the groundbreaking ceremony. Hello, my baby. Hello, my honey. Hello, my ragtime girl. 
Send me a kiss by wire, baby, my heart's on fire. And when your heart's on fire, you want that wire fast. Germany may be increasingly broke, but it has inaugurated a new wireless telegraphy service between Berlin and Hamburg. The service is called Blitzfunk, which means lightning spark, because it's very fast. In the demonstration, a message brought to the main Berlin telegraph office at nine in the morning was then transmitted to Hamburg at 9.03, where it was transcribed and telephoned to the addressee at 9.10 before delivery of the telegram. In Canada, a 14-year-old boy, Leonard Thompson, has become the first human being on the planet to receive an injection of what they call insulin as a treatment for diabetes. The dose was administered at Toronto General Hospital by Dr. James Collip. Belgium has instituted bilingualism with government documents henceforth to be printed in both French and Flemish. The American inventor Hiram A. Farrand has been granted a patent for a flexible steel tape with a slight curvature for ease of extension and retraction that can be used to measure lengths of up to several feet. In entertainment news, the first million-dollar photo play, Foolish Wives, has opened at New York's Central Theatre. On its journey from the West Coast, a special railway carriage was installed with photo-cutting equipment so that editors could trim the feature down from 30 reels to 14 reels. Foolish Wives is written and directed by Eric von Stroheim, who is also the featured player as a fake count who seduces rich women and steals their money. Variety hails it as, quote, a sensational sex melodrama, but Photoplay calls it an insult to American ideals and womanhood. Every morning, every evening, ain't we got fun? Not much money, oh, but money. Every morning, every evening, ain't those picture stars got fun? It may be that even the most sensational sex melodrama on the screen pales next to that going on in a San Francisco courtroom. We have reported on last year's scandalous party thrown by Fatty Arbuckle in room 1219 of the St. Francis Hotel. Miss Virginia Rapp, an aspiring actress, suffered such terrible injuries that she died, and Mr Arbuckle was charged with manslaughter. Last month, the jury deadlocked and a mistrial was declared. A second trial has now begun with the same judge, prosecutors and defence counsel. In sports news, two of college football's undefeated and untied teams, the Washington and Jefferson Presidents and the California Golden Bears, have played to a scoreless tie in the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California. Both teams will be ranked as uncrowned champions of the 1921 season. On the exact same day in the other major postseason game, the Aggies of Texas A&M defeated the Praying Colonels of Center College 22-14 at Dallas, Texas. The game was notable for the innovation of a 12th man by Texas A&M when a student among the crowd is designated to be ready to enter the game. This sounds as if it could have the makings of a tradition.
Hans Kronold was a Polish Jew who became a much sought-after musician in the New York Symphony and other American orchestras. He was the first cellist to have a sound recording made of his playing. Cello solo primary, played by Hans Kronold, Edison Record. Mr. Kronold is dead at 49. Suda Dipiratana, the princess of Ratanakosin, was the highest-ranking female member of the Siamese royal family and a great benefactress to the country's medical system. Her royal highness is dead of tuberculosis at 44. Sir Ernest Shackleton went from a small village in County Kildare to the wastes of Antarctica and an inspirational role in the annals of polar exploration. His latest expedition was supposed to be a circumnavigation of the Antarctic continent. But after arriving at the British territory of South Georgia and being examined by the ship's physician who advised him to give up alcohol, Sir Ernest, just moments later, suffered a fatal heart attack. He was 47. Maria Louise Baldwin was the first Negress to serve as a school principal in New England and of an overwhelmingly white school. She was a pioneer in American education and was delivering a speech at the Copley Plaza in Boston when she collapsed and died. Miss Baldwin was 67. The village of Dolgaville in New York State lies northwest of Albany and Schenectady and was named for Alfred Dolger, the German-born inventor and industrialist. Thanks to Mr. Dolger, Dolgaville can boast the first electric dynamo powered by water, the first felt slippers and shoes made in America, and the first public kindergarten in New York State. It was the first village upstate to be lit by electricity and the first with its own socialistic welfare system, including a generous pension rising to 100% of wages after 25 years' service. For all that, the villagers can thank Mr. Dolger. In 1819, he was financially ruined and moved from Dolgerville to California. He was on a world tour when he died in Milan at the age of 73. He will be buried in the village that bears his name. And that's the way of the world, January 1922. A hundred years from today. A hundred years from today. This is Mark Stein on your Clubland Q&A live across the planet. Uh, let's get back to some more of your questions. George Pereira writes, Mark, I grow more and more confused as the congressional questioning of the sainted Fauci goes on. I'm only some old white guy with most of his teeth, but even the most casual internet search I do comes up with some pretty damning evidence 
on what the House of Pain and Horror has been doing over the years. The latest is that in the early 90s, Dr. Fauci, who is a doctor along the lines of Jack Kevorkian or Joseph Mengele, used AIDS-infected orphans to test his latest AIDS cure. At least 80 children died gruesome and painful deaths, even as it was clear the cure wasn't working. Yet the sainted Dr. Fauci demanded the show must go on. At least no vocal cords were severed. Yet in the Senate, Rand Paul takes a couple of jabs and in a couple of days takes a couple more booster jabs, all of which is ineffective and does nothing to confront the monstrous evil that has taken place. Is all this just the dog and pony show for appearances sake? Well, I'm not sure uh, what you're referring to as the dog and pony show. If you mean congressional hearings, obviously you're right about that. You know, again, it's a peculiarity of the American system. You know, people ask me sometimes, uh, particularly, you know, after we're, we're coming up to the first anniversary of Russia's death and about whatever it was a week after that, the the first anniversary of me departing the show. And, you know, I suppose at some point we'll come uh, to the first anniversary of my departure from uh, uh, Tucker and uh, whatever it's called, Fox News primetime. And, and one of the reasons is because that when you start thinking about these things, uh, you begin to wonder, as I said, I don't think the parochialism of the American right helps because, for example, we should have known at Benghazi, 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 Obama and Hillary Clinton let brave Americans die because they didn't want to uh, dispatch anybody to which would have been easy just to send some planes from Italy uh, to look at what was going on, fire a few shots, clear people out of there, whatever. They didn't want to do it. So we had a thing where we had the technological superpower monitoring its own humili humiliation by drone. So it's all captured on drone. <laughs> and uh, that's good enough. Uh, rather in the way that the the uh, you know the humiliations at Kabul they've undoubtedly got a very terrific record of. Um, but when you have investigations on that, and Hillary Clinton actually says, "What difference at this point does it make?" Well, it would have made a difference to those guys, starting with the ambassador, because they'd still be alive. But it doesn't have. So again, one of these checks and balances. And again, don't wave your constitution at me. You know, this this investigative role where they sit around like the world's largest panel of judges, and it go and it flips from Republican to Democrat, and the Republicans actually try to 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 do some forensic questioning, as Rand Paul does. And then the Democrats just lob softballs. I've been I've been there. I've been there with uh I've done that with uh, that idiot from Massachusetts, whatever he's called, Ed Markey. That thing doesn't work. That doesn't work. So obviously uh, no investigative hearing is going to get Fauci. Fauci is uh, 
you know, just to go back to the one, the, the conspiracy theory that's actually out there. We, I had a long discussion with Matt Ridley about Fauci's emails and his role on GB News. You can watch it. I think it was on, was it Wednesday's show? You can watch it. It's posted at our website, even if YouTube take it down. But we had like a very sober conversation. Matt Ridley is not anybody's idea of a hardcore right winger or anything. But we we talked about uh, what is now known is what is now known that the most likely explanation, the one that can still get you banned from social media, uh, which is that the uh, Wu flu came out of the Wuhan Institute of Virology. All that remains to be determined is whether it just escaped naturally or whether it was released deliberately. We do know, we do know, again, fact that the Chai Coms released it to the world deliberately. We do know that Fauci was doing under the cover gain of function research at the Wuhan lab. We do know that Fauci's emails with his science chums and his public health chums are strikingly different from what he was saying on the record in those critical first weeks. And yet, uh, as I said, you'll know that if you saw me talking to Matt Ridley for whatever it was. It wasn't a big, long thing. It was just 10, 15 minutes. But it's 15 minutes more than you'll ever see on ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, The New York Times or The Washington Post. So what we're, well, we're not in the kind of situation you described, George, because we actually have now state media, state media. Denise O'Leary makes what I think is actually a kind of a related point in a way. Denise says, just a question, how much of a role in the synagogue terror incident can be attributed to the general willingness of Jewish people to vote for progressives? She says, please hear me out. Anti-Semitism has largely moved left in my lifetime. Uh, That's true. That's actually very true. You know, when you say anti-Semitism, people still think of uh, Hitler and they think of, or in more contemporary terms, shaven-headed skinheads. There is an anti-Semitic right, but the, but the important anti-Semites are all on the left, uh, including, for example, on the BBC, uh, who, who described what uh, happened at that synagogue, not as a hostage-taking situation, but said that, you know, certain persons were detained. Now, why is that? Why is that? I'll come back to Denise's email, but I'll just address that. Well, the one thing is that um, the BBC has made a sustained effort in recent years to uh, over-promote diverse persons because it's got these diversity targets. So quite high up in the BBC, you run into, you know, you you have a thing where your boss is uh, one of these over-promoted diversity types. And it becomes difficult to say, you know, you know, they get a bit difficult if you start going on about Islamic terrorism, the idea that there is like an Islamic 
uh, jihad type thing uh, where they have certain kind of obvious targets. We don't want to play into all those assumptions. So you start self-neutering your own language uh, because you want to get it past your boss, your editor. Uh, Denise says... Uh, the Jewish vote for progressives is like the woman who willingly lives with a guy who beats her. He may kill her, but exactly what are the rest of us supposed to do about that? It's not easy to decide how to help her. First steps. Jewish leaders should quit making excuses of any kind whatsoever for the existence of Israel and start naming the problem Islamic terror. The government talks around it and does nothing because the Democrats know that Jewish Americans will just let them. It won't cost civil servants their jobs or make any difference at the polls. Second, what is government doing about preventing the free movement of terrorists in North America? What if Jewish leaders chose this incident to unite demand answers and imply that the quiet removal of crats not suited to the job of dealing with it would be a good idea. This is a solvable problem, but it would require some serious rethinking in some quarters about political allegiances. Yeah, you see it with Alan Dershowitz, for example. I've had him on. He appears on Fox quite a lot now because nobody else wants to have him because he wandered off the reservation. And he still prefaces everything he says. <laughs> Let's go now to Alan Dershowitz. Well, Mark, speaking as a lifelong uh, liberal Democrat who voted for Hillary Clinton, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that's fine, Alan. That's fine. But at the rate, actually, at the rate you're moving, you're going to lose your entire world. And this is really what it comes down to. Self-preservation. You know, if, if the Jews of all people, and the difference, I said this years ago, the difference between Germany in the 30s and now is that there'd always been anti-Semitism in Europe since, you know, medieval times. There'd always be some sort of property restrictions, voting right restrictions. There'd be, even when it wasn't a big deal, there'd be some sort of low-key simmering anti-Semitic thing that would crop up now and again. But it didn't turn genocidal until... Germany in the 1930s. And we can forgive the Jew Jewish community for not seeing where that was headed because they were the most assimilated Jews in Europe and uh, they were rather like American Jews today. They thought they, they were so established and so central that this was never going to be an issue. Now, they, you can make that excuse for them because it had never happened before. The guys now... It did happen. It happened to their grandparents and great uncles. So you don't have that. Ex you don't have that excuse. And you're going going along with a party whose star members in the squad are like openly Jew hating. They don't they don't disguise it because they know you're the past of the Democrat Party and they're the future. So why don't you see that? Why can't you see that? That's all you have to that's all you have to do. And Denise is quite right about that. Um uh let's uh, see what else have uh, we got here now. Uh Gabriel Garcia Moreno says, Mark, much of the authoritarian governmental overreach in the name of COVID has its origins 
in societal traits you've been observing for decades, with so much to be pessimistic about. Are we too far gone as a society, or is there a realistic route back even at this late stage? P.S. Will we see you back on GB News after your stint there? Well, uh, Gabrielle or Gabriel, whichever it is, I like both as it happens. I like Gabriella too. I knew a Gabriella once. I'm just like a drift in memory now. Uh, yeah, there's obviously things to be pessimistic about. What we know is this, that woke world is just going to be, even if it were to be to succeed, even if they were to topple every statue of every white guy and burn every book, it would only be an interim phase because the planet will be inherited by somebody else. Uh, as I said on GB News on Friday, the biggest threat to Western civilization are the West's elites. They're what's driving it off the cliffs. Uh, and uh, people like the Russians, the Chinese, the crazy mullahs, these are just opportunist enemies. America, I think, is headed for... I'm astonished by the news that nobody knows about. As I said, just these nice... I, I would be... I don't know how I would ever recover if anything like this were ever to happen to any of my loved ones. But I read these horrifying stories of, you know, as I said, a 23, 24-year-old white girl who just gets a job in a high-end store, thinks she's insulated herself because it's not in some crappy part of town. It's not in, like Kathy Shadle used to say, it's not in a, you know, a, a Taco Bell on... MLK Boulevard. She's in a nice part of town and someone just kills her because they're being taught by the Democrats to just hate white people. They're being taught by people like Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi that their life is their life sucks because some white person who's just working in a convenience store is has got white privilege. Oh, but she doesn't seem to have white privilege. She's making minimum wage and she lives in a trailer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the biggest sign you've got white privilege is when you're not even aware you've got white privilege. So let's kill her. You know, and there's a precise connection between this. It's not like, you know, the uh, the insurrection of January the 6th where you have to parse Trump's words to figure out where he actually gave the signal for everybody to rise up and trash the Capitol. This, this, these are explicit links. They are taught this for like 15 years in American schools. So... So, you know, the route back and the, and, and the route forward is going to be bloody and violent. And this is this is what people should realize. It's not just as that things are going to gradually change. People talk about, you know, these oh, the, the features of the that there seem to be a not more non-binary persons of color in all the TV casuals. 
commercials now. It's not going, oh, that's interesting. Just while I'm watching TV, yes, the ads are very different from uh, the 1970s. No, it's not going to be like that. Are you out of your mind? It's going to be actual violence. There's already violence. And look at any American city on the West Coast now. They look like third world cities. Look at the trash everywhere. That's always a good sign. You know, I, I remember thinking about this in in uh, Iraq, for example. I was in some cities in the uh, uh, western desert of Iraq. And there's just like garbage everywhere. You'd come to like a residential street and there'd just be garbage all over the front lawns. That's not a good sign of a functioning society. And I thought it must be something to do with overthrowing Saddam, that maybe this where all Saddam's pals lived. Uh, uh, and then I drove uh, into Jordan and I go to some sort of equivalent towns in eastern Jordan and they've all got trash everywhere too. So it's a, a society that uh, it's a society that tolerates that. I never think that's a very good sign. And then I look at pictures, particularly along the railway line. Now, have you seen this in California along the railway line? Because the trains go so slow here, you couldn't do it with the French TGV because uh, they go too fast. If you try to jump on them, you just fall off and die. But American trains go so slowly that when they're kind of lumbering along the rusting track in California, you can jump on them. And what they do is they bust in and they steal all the Amazon and FedEx stuff and they rip them open and they take whatever's in there that is worth taking and then just leave the trash all over the thing. So increasingly, our cities look like third world cities. And... Uh, and so the end is going to be, and I'm just, I'm just saying this now because I'd like people to get real. The end is going to be extremely bloody and violent. And you're going to be, want to be as far away from that as you can get. Um, and as I talked uh, uh, about with David Starkey uh, on GB News, we're seeing the imposition of the American paradigm elsewhere throughout the Western world. So finding somewhere to escape all that, uh, other than Central and Eastern Europe, which may not be to everyone's tastes, is going to be increasingly difficult. But yes, there's always a way back from that, because it's not about, it's never about numbers. It's about, uh, it's, it's about hardcore ideas that stir spirit in the soul of a people. And that means something new rather than this just leaden conversation we have here. Oh, oh look, uh, AOC said something today that, oh, AO, AOC was uh, photographed in Florida and, you know, she doesn't like DeSantis. So that shows she's a big hypocrite because uh, like everybody else, she'd much rather be in Florida. It's not going to be enough. All this shallow rubbish, it's not going to be enough. As I said, you need something that stirs the soul of a people because the alternative is going to be grim and violent. <laughs> I see. I've got to stop doing these kind of questions <laughs> just before the end because, because we can't have happy endings like this all the time. I actually think that is my kind of thing of a happy ending. It's not about numbers. All the best stories. doesn't matter whether you're talking about uh, High Noon, uh, 
you know, he's walking down Main Street alone, or whether it's uh, 007 uh, shooting all the minions in the hollowed-out volcano. It's never about numbers. But you need something to stir the soul of a people. Um, we always like to... Uh, I'm trying to think whether I've got anything to uh, say about what's uh, happening, uh, coming up. Oh, well, we, uh, let's... Uh, I've said enough about the depressing stuff. A listener in Mid-Ulster, John Barfoot, I have his letter in front of me. A very nice part of Mid-Ulster. Actually, if you've never been to Northern Ireland, you could do far worse than ending up in his particular corner. He, uh, John... Johnny sent me a very kind Christmas present, really three Christmas presents in one. One was an anthology of Kipling from 1912, a very nice collection. The second was a poem by the Ulster poet James Simmons on a terrorist attack whose 50th anniversary falls this year, so I may save the poem for that. By the way, when I read it, I was uh, profoundly moved by its simplicity. And I think uh, I think sometimes, you know, if we are going off the cliff, I'd still like uh, I, I'd, I'd like it if we could at least push back on all fronts, uh, particularly when it comes to responding. As I said, I'm I get incredibly depressed by these stories that don't that in any other country would make the national news of people who are just killed just because, as, as in that awful phrase that absolves their murderers, they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. And even if you kill, you know, quite a big number of them, it just gets memory hold, like uh, Walkershire, the Christmas parade. You know, have all those grannies, the dancing grannies, have they all been forgotten by this heartless media, heartless social media? And in the end, what you have to revile is a heartless society that just lets grannies get slaughtered at a Christmas parade? Anyway, I'll save that poem by uh, James Simmons for the 50th anniversary. I, I was, because as I said, I was moved by it. And uh, so, the, so the, those are two of the presents he sent me. The third was an album by his daughter, Rhoda Barfoot, an album of various Celtic uh, and uh, other songs, some of which I know and uh, some of which I'd never heard before. Um, uh, and they were quite new to me uh, and were very interesting. But the album is called... Across the Sea to Ireland. So you know where we're going because this is kind of the title track. Rhoda Barfoot. Just to hear again the rip. 
from her album Across the Sea to Ireland and a lovely, intense arrangement of uh, Galway Bay by Dr Arthur Carlihan. He was raised in Galway, became a doctor in Galway and then joined the Royal Army Medical Corps and had an awful war, the Great War, the worst war. He was badly mustard gassed and uh, afterwards settled down in Leicester in the English Midlands. And decades later, after another world war, he was missing Galway and sat down in his home in the East Midlands to write a song about it. Arthur Collahan was never a full-time songwriter, but he wrote a bigger hit than many full-time songwriters ever have and died five years later in 1952. And if you're used to hearing Galway Bay bawled boozily in pubs, well, Miss Barfoot's splendid version makes it a real song all over again. What's that third verse? Uh, For the strangers came and tried to teach us their way. I think that's a reference to the European Commission. I certainly hope it is. And I thank Rhoda's dad, John Barfoot, in Mid-Ulster for sending along that CD from his talented daughter. Uh, Tomorrow... Tuesday, it's EIB reunion time. Snurdly and Stein together on New York's legendary WABC live at 4 p.m. Eastern. Stay safe, stay free.
Markstein's Clubland Q&A is a production of Markstein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. All rights reserved.